I wasn't in the internist office more than five minutes. She put her hands on me and she says, I'm sending you for a mammogram. As soon as she said that, I knew, I pretty much knew I had breast cancer. Even though he's already had breast and, and prostate and I've had breast, it doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. You know, everybody has breasts and everybody has breast tissue. and. You know, we're all susceptible to, to certain things. It's so important for them to have the knowledge that yes, I could get diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, we got to make it easier because the system was so hard to navigate as being a guy. Nobody knew what to do with you. BRCA mutation is not a death sentence. Harvey Singer and Vicki Wolf are siblings and co-founders of His Breast Cancer, a nonprofit focused on providing support and education related to breast cancer in men. Harvey and Vicki are both survivors of breast cancer and both carry a mutation in the BRCA2 gene. Harvey is also a survivor of prostate cancer, diagnosed 18 months after his breast cancer. Both cancers are associated with BRCA2 mutations in men. Vicki and Harvey, thank you so much for meeting with me. Thank you, it's a pleasure to You're be welcome. here. So you both carry a mutation in the BRCA2 gene, and I have interviewed guests on this podcast before who carry mutations in the BRCA2 gene, but I still think it's helpful. Not all listeners might be familiar with this. So what does that mean to carry a mutation in the BRCA2 gene? What it means to me to carry the BRCA2 gene, um, I have had multiple breast cancer diagnosis. Um, for me, it was great information to learn why I kept uh, receiving recurring breast cancer diagnosis. And uh, what that means to me uh, for the future, how I could proceed moving forward, what it meant to my children, my family. Uh, I have three sons, you know, two brothers. And for me, learning uh, that I carried that mutation, it was. It really helped to explain a lot. Um, I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I always have. I exercise. I, you know, choose a healthier uh, diet, and yet I kept receiving these this diagnosis of breast cancer, and and I needed to know and understand why, you know. So that uh, was very helpful for me, and it's made uh, it's allowed me to make other improvements and changes. Uh, either prophylactically with a hysterectomy or being more aggressive in my diet or supplements I choose to take, just lifestyle, so that I could uh, try even harder to prevent what the breast cancer mutation uh, isn't allowing me, you know, that mutation, you know, everybody makes breast, can everybody makes cancer cells, but, you know, when you carry the, the BRCA uh, mutation, it's just more challenging, that much harder to kill those cells off. Right. So anything that I can do to help in that uh, prevention is, is even, even better. Yeah. And you were diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time when you were only 37. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. 
I was 37 years of age. So when I was 35, I had my first uh, baseline mammogram because I had an aunt that was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, when I was 37, um, our mom was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that reminded me it was time for me to go back and get another mammogram. And uh, at that point, I was diagnosed um, with BCIS, um, breast cancer. And my mom had actually gone with me for the mammogram, and I didn't even get out the door before she looked at me and said, that took too long. What's wrong? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then I was diagnosed uh, again at 39. I was going for um, mammograms every six months. And so at 39, again, they saw uh, something suspicious, uh, which turned out again to be DCIS. Um, and then I continued uh, with... Uh, mammograms and uh, breast MRIs and uh, at 47 years of age that's when I was diagnosed with invasive breast cancer um, that was in 2005 and it was at that point when um, each time I had lumpectomies um, uh, with the invasive we tested the sentinel lymph nodes uh, all of my uh, diagnoses have all been estrogen receptive positive um, and you know all hormone positive and uh, I wanted to understand more you know why was I continuing why was this my third diagnosis of breast cancer and uh, speaking with an oncologist that's when I first learned about genetic testing and thought I I need to do this I need to learn more I want to understand why um, it keeps recurring, and so when I was diagnosed with the BRCA2 mutation, I then continued on and had a full hysterectomy uh, prophylactically. Um, I was on uh, tamoxifen. I did radiation, and I thought I was well ahead of the game. <laughs> um, on the right track, and then another 11 years went by, and uh, my most recent diagnosis uh, was in, uh, in 2000, the end of 2016, um, at 58 years of age, when uh, I again was diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. And at that point in time, I went ahead and had a full mastectomy um, with reconstruction. I completed uh, chemotherapy. And and uh, I am on an aromatase inhibitor as well. That's a long history, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> too long. Wait, too long. <laughs> way too many times for someone to have to go through that. Yes, right. I agree. So when you were diagnosed in 2005 and they did the testing, I'm wondering, did they order the testing before or after you had surgery done? And did they talk to you about a possible mastectomy at that point? Um, I was hmm. tested after the diagnosis and after I had uh, the lumpectomy already completed. Um, and when I learned that I had the mutation, it was, you know, I knew that the next step was that I had to have, you know, the hysterectomy, which I thought was going to be partial. But when I met with the doctor, he, you know, he guided me towards a full. He said, um, you know, there's always a little tissue left, and he really recommended at this stage of my life for me um, a full hysterectomy was in order. So by the time I completed the hysterectomy, the radiation, I was, you know, the side effects of the tamoxifen, the thought of going back at that point 
for a mastectomy, you know, just was more than uh, mentally at that point in my life I could handle. Um, I also thought that I was doing all the right things and taking all the right precautions, you know, lowering my chance of, you know, with less hormones in my body, which is what's always fed these cancers by having the hysterectomy, Mm -hmm. being on the tamoxifen for five years, you know, it had not gone into the sentinel node. So I felt, you know, pretty secure that way that, you know, I thought, I'm if I get breast cancer again, it's going to be like my mother and my aunt when I'm in my 70s, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 48. It's, it's, you know, it's, what are the chances? Right. <laughs> um, I also, you know, at that point began to feel almost a little bit of a security, like my body wants to make breast cancer. That's, <laughs> you know, these cancer cells, they say make breast cancer for, my, for me. And if I remove my breast, then I wasn't like, where am I going to check for it? How am mm. I going to know where it goes when it, when it comes? Um, yeah. So they were almost like a security for me at that point. And I was being checked twice a year through mammogram and through breast MRI, rotating both. Um, and I knew that, you know, if something showed up, obviously, you know, I felt comfortable it was going to be caught early. But I, I'm a very glass half full kind of person. So I'm very positive. And it was just like, no, this isn't going to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you were, you were doing everything right, you know, to reduce your risk as much as possible to catch it early. Were you able to catch it at an early stage at least? We did. We did. We absolutely did. It did not spread into the lymph nodes. At least we tried to retest the sentinel lymph node, um, which was a bit challenging. So we're pretty sure that it wasn't. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, it uh, it was caught early enough. Um, but at this point, I, I mean, I always knew that if or when I was diagnosed again, there was no choice. I needed to, to remove them. Yeah. And so it sounds like you were the first person in the family to have genetic testing done. Is that right? I was. Okay. Yes. And then how did, and yeah, how did things go from, from there for your other family members? Sure. Um, once I, once I learned what, you know, what it all meant. And I did work with a, you know, genetic counselor. Um, I shared that information um, with both my brothers and uh, what that meant for them. And, you know, I know they heard me, but they also thought breast cancer. They don't really have to worry about that, you know. Um, well, <laughs> little did, we, little did yeah. we know where that would lead us. Well, but, it uh, did lead us because when Vicki called me and told me, you know, of her genetic predisposition. We always knew there was a long familiar history of cancer in our family. Um, Being Jewish, you're named after people that have passed on. And um, I'm named after my mom's two brothers who both died very young, both of some sort of cancer. So we've always known there was some sort of link. We just didn't know what it was until Vicky got tested. And when she called me that day, even though I had thought about that many times being named that way, I always, as a child, I always was scared of the fact that I was named after two people that got cancer and died young. It was something that I carried with me for a long time. Once I got into my 50s, I kind of feel like, okay, I got further than my my would-be uncles did. Uh, So when Vicky called me, I said, you know, okay, well, I'm not going to get breast cancer. You know, what, why, you know, what's this mean to me? And she said, well, It can also cause pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, ovarian, which I'm obviously not going to get, or melanoma. And I said, well, that's good information. You know, I'll 
keep it under my hat. And I really didn't think too much about it until, I guess, two years later when I started to see a change in my left nipple and felt a soreness under there and started poking around. And as soon as I felt something, I reverted, my mind reverted back to the fact that Vicky had warned me that I could be carrying this. I had not been tested, obviously, at this point. Um, and I actually pointed out to my wife, I said, look at this. Can you feel this under here? And she goes, oh, you're always looking for something. You know, if you think it's something, go to the doctor. So I made an appointment for later that week. And I wasn't in the internist's office more than five minutes. And she put her hands on me and she says, I'm sending you for a mammogram. As soon as she said that, I knew, I pretty much knew I had breast cancer because of, you know, what was going on and the family history of carrying this BRCA mutation. So it kind of went pretty fast out of there, but I don't know if she didn't inform me of that beforehand, if I would have reacted as fast as I did. Um, so, and I was lucky for that, that I was able to catch mine early, um, you know, where most guys don't catch it till later stages because guys are stupid and don't go to doctors and ignore symptoms. And it's just the way we're programmed. Uh, so the fact that, you know, we knew there was something potentially going on really helped me accelerate what I was going to do and how fast I was going to get treated for it. Um, unlike Vicky, I did have to have a, a, a mastectomy of my left breast. At the time, I was offered to do a bilateral I wasn't ready to make that decision. Retrospectively, I wish I would have um, because I still now go for, I just actually scheduled my annual breast MRI. Um, but, you know, whatever it was worked out. I mean, I had no, I had no sentinel node involvement. Um, I was like Vicky, ERPR positive, um, HER2 indifferent at the time, which for a while mm -hmm. they thought I was HER2 positive, but wasn't. Um, and then I was starting thinking I was out of the woods because my surgeon said, oh, you'll be great. You just need to take a pill a day for five years, tamoxifen, and you'll be good. But then, you know, pathology came back, oncotype came back, and I started hearing the whispers of, you're going to need chemo. It's like, well, nobody wants to go through chemo. But, and I certainly didn't think I was going to have to. But once I started to do my homework on it, I found out that I, I did have to do some sort of chemo regimen prophylactically because... BRCA2, I'm not sure about BRCA1, but I know BRCA2 mutation cancers are, especially their tumors, are very aggressive. And I heard that everywhere I went and everything I researched. Um, so, you know, after f I actually had my own oncologist and I pushed back on her um, because of the chemo regimen she wanted me to have. And she wanted me to have adriamycin along with cytoxin and taxotere. And I started, I saw a couple other um, oncologists for alternate opinions. And a couple of them said to me, I wouldn't do adriamycin because, it, you know, it's been uh, known to cause blood cancers. And, mm. you know, he, matter of fact, Dr. John Link, who wrote the Breast Cancer Survival Guide that's on every supermarket checkout, I got a, a second opinion with him. And he said, look, I had women I've cured of breast cancer who ended up dying of lymphoma. So I pushed back on my own oncologist and she said, well, she took it in front of her tumor board. She came back. She said, it's your decision. And this is when I started to realize that um, I control my care. I need to know everything that's humanly possible about what I'm dealing with because doctors are good. They make you know, good decisions based on the most information they have. I found that a lot of them, they just do whatever the hospital they're aligned with. If you're in New York, 
you're listening to Sloan Kettering. If you're in Boston, you're listening to Dana Farber. Um, you know, it's kind of like the whatever comes down the pike. So I figured I had to do my own research, my own intellect, figure out what was best for me. And I ended up making that decision to not have the adriamycin and just have the cytoxin taxotere. And I did exactly what Vicky did <laughs> many years later, um, four regimens, th three weeks apart. And I went through all that lovely stuff. And, you know, it just, but I would not have reacted as fast as I did if it wasn't for understanding what we had to deal with. And that's what kind of put Vicky and I on the path of, we got to make this different for guys because there's just no information out there. And guys are getting swept under the rug. I know there's only, you know, 25, 2,600 of us diagnosed annually with breast cancer. Maybe a little bit more now that there's a cluster in New York, you know, from, from environmental reasons. But, um, you know, we got to make it easier because the system was so hard to navigate as being a guy. Nobody knew what to do with you. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, well, we don't really know what to do, so we'll just treat you like a woman. But, you know, breast cancer is hormonally driven and men and women you know, create different hormones at different levels. But they didn't know, they don't have enough guys to, to do studies for us. So they just, you know, group you into this big pink world and, you know, move you along the system. So that's when we decided that we had to do something having five boys, each one of the boys being 50-50 to be carrying. We said we have to do something to change it, make it easier for our kids, make it easier for the next guy. And that's what put us on the path to start the, his Breast Cancer Awareness Foundation. Yeah. When, and when you, were, when you were initially diagnosed and deciding you needed to do a lot of research on your own, what information did you find that was helpful or did like you know that where you were able to come to some conclusions on your own and what kind of information were you really looking for other than you know like larger studies that aren't possible that you wanted to make more readily available so when i started researching male breast cancer all i could find online were a couple of foundations that were paying homage to their father or brother who passed away um there was really no clinical information uh i had run i was i travel a lot for work I'm in a national account sales job, and I was in Boston. Um, in between the time I had my surgery and before I was deciding what treatment I was going to undertake, it was right before Christmas, actually, uh, 2008. And I ended up in a snowstorm, and I ended up in this almost abandoned mall with a restaurant that was the only thing left open. And this doctor wandered in, and the bartender knew her. I was sitting at the bar having something to eat, and the bartender said, what are you doing here? And she said, oh, they closed my clinic. And I have all these patients that need treatment. Anyway, long story short, we started talking and I said, you know, I said, what kind of, you know, what kind of treatment? And she said, oh, I'm, a, I'm an OBGY oncologist. Uh, I run a infusion center at Dana-Farber. Hmm. And so I said, that's, that's really interesting because I need, I'm in the process of trying to make a decision on what kind of treatment I should have. And we ended up spending like two hours she and I just speak, talking about it. And she had just come back from the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. And she had all this information. And she actually was the first one that said to me, do not let them give you adriamycin. She wrote down on a cocktail napkin that I kept, um, just cytoxin taxotere. She said, there's been all these studies. And she gave me her passcode to get in to research these studies. <laughs> and she did. And I used it. And I went in and I started looking all the, at all the, um, the boards and studies that were presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. And, you know, a lot of it was hard for me to understand because it was written clinically. And I'm not a clinician, obviously. But 
Um, but you know, you get you cut through the chase. And that's what started me to just learn how to research this stuff and go and find these uh, clinical studies and, and other studies. They're all published. They're all online. I mean, sometimes you need access to it, but you can, you can get a lot of information just, you know, doing your due diligence and, and researching. Look, everything's out there. You just got to spend the time to find it. So that's, that's kind of what, you know, where I got a lot of the information. I didn't get anything that made sense for guys, which is the other reason that propelled us to start doing something for guys written from a guy who's been through it and that mm-hmm. we can help somebody. We can't, look, we can't tell you anything medically. I can't say you must have, you know, cytoxin taxotere, but I can tell you what I did and I can tell you where to research what you need to research and come up with your own decisions because that's, that's paramount and you're making educated decisions. The problem is people get diagnosed with cancer and, you know, they, they're spinning. They're out of control. And they're just doing whatever their doctor tells them because they figure the doctor's the smart guy and mm-hmm. you don't know anything and I'll just do whatever they tell me to do. But the facts are that the doctors are just making educated guesses. And if they make a wrong guess and you die, they go to the next patient. You don't get that opportunity. You get one chance. So you better be careful what you decide you want to do. And I, that's, I do impress upon the people that contact us to our foundation or people I run into that you control your care, learn about it. It's, it's, your, it's your new full-time job. If you're diagnosed with some sort of cancer, it's now your full-time job to understand everything possible about that. It's more important than your regular job, which pays you because this might save you. Yeah. And the, the, the foundation you started is his breast cancer awareness, HIS, all capitals, right? Which is both your initials, um, Harvey Singer. What's your, what's your middle name? <laughs> Irwin. I-R-W-I-N. Irwin. Okay. I, 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 looked at, I looked at my brother one day and I said, I know you always hated your middle name, but <laughs> I think we just figured out it had a purpose. And that's where we came up with the HIS and uh, for Harvey Irwin Singer. And um, so his breast cancer awareness was just a natural uh, for both meetings. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, right. And I could help Harvey with a lot of, you know, I mean, he would call me and say, you know, they want me to have this test or they think I should do this. And, you know, most of these things I had been through several times at that point. So, you know, I could tell him what it was going to be like to have this type of, you know, biopsy or stereotactic, you know, biopsy or testing or treatment. But, you know, when he first said he has to, you know, go for a mammogram, he called me on the phone. He said, well, they're sending me for a mammogram. How do I do that? And I said, guess what? I know a lot of women out there that are just as, <laughs> just as small and, uh, and you can do this, you know, and, and just... Um, what I couldn't help him with was how to be a guy mm-hmm. with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, in this, in this, it is a world, it is a sea of pink. And, you know, our, our ribbon is pink and blue because, it, you know, we represent the men as well. And, uh, and we don't want them to feel like they are, you know, stifled in this, surrounded by these, you know, only women. And everything is pink, pink, pink. And, and um, you know, especially when it comes to BRCA, it's a 50-50. It's passed down from a mother or a father to a sister or a brother, you know, um, and it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, there's no gender. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't discriminate. Um, cancer doesn't discriminate. And BRCA does not discriminate. We'll be back with patient stories in just a minute. If you've always been interested in genetic counseling, but don't know where to start, Gray Genetics is here to help. 
we know that finding a genetic counselor can be challenging. Here at Gray Genetics, we offer genetic counseling for a variety of specialties. Whether you're interested in cancer, family planning, or cardiovascular genetics, you can connect with a certified genetic counselor who will evaluate your family history and even coordinate testing if necessary, all over the phone or HIPAA secure video conferencing. Check out this service and more on graygenetics.com. That's G-R-E-Y genetics.com. Harvey, I imagine even, you know, going for that first mammogram or now as you were referencing going for like a breast MRI, like every time you go into those screening centers, you're probably the only the only male that's there in a mammography center. Is that is that true? Or do you have do you have people who assume that you're there like accompanying a woman instead of there for your own screening? Uh it's funny you said that because one of the times I was in a in my oncologist's office and my wife went with me one of my first appointments with my oncologist and there was a woman in the in the waiting room that you know recognized us somebody we knew from the neighborhood and she came up and she goes oh no Donna not you too and she, Donna looked at her and said no I'm here with Harvey and she goes Harvey what's he doing here this is a you know an imaging center it's like it's a breast oncology office. Um, and you know, but that's, that's been part of the problem is that as we've traveled, as Vicki and I have grown up in this world for the, for the past, well, for me, for the past, um, 11 years, um, people don't understand that, that BRCA is, you know, an equal opportunity, non-sexist, you know, disease it, or mutation. And I can't tell you how many people we've run into that don't understand that, 50% of the people carrying this mutation are guys. It's a constant battle. I think, obviously, the biggest part of the problem is it's named BRCA, BR for breast, CA for cancer. That's where it comes from. But it's, you know, people just don't get it. Um, you know, I've changed my imaging center where I go. I've changed the forms because the first forms they gave me, they gave me this thing, you know, big diagram with large breasts, draw any places where you might have a problem. Mm. And I said, you know, this is not applicable for me. Why, why are you giving me yeah. this? Why, why are you asking me when my last period was? You know, what's, it's one piece of paper. Can't you change the form to make it acceptable for guys? We're so politically correct in this world about not insulting anybody. But yet this is a, a medical office that can't give you a form that's made for you. Right. It makes you feel like an outcast. And they've actually changed it. Um, so now there's a form that they have to go into a separate drawer to pull out, but to get the, but, the guys form, you know, and Eleanor, and it could be as simple as, you know, if you are a male, skip to question 12. So you don't have to answer how many pregnancies have you had? And, you know, when was right. your last period and those questions? And, you know, it, it, it's, it's that simple. Something that just acknowledges right. <laughs> that you may not be female instead of assuming that you are. And I guess like those those forms too, you know, that work for most people probably help to um, help help to keep up the misconception that breast cancer is not a disease that affects men, you know, because the form doesn't acknowledge that possibility. Exactly. And makes them feel more humiliated. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 embarrassing that, you know, they have to sit there. It's hard enough to sit into a room, an office, you know, filled with women surrounding you all wearing, you know, pink, pink gowns. gowns, you know, pink ribbons and, on the gowns. You know, right. Right. And then fill out these forms as well, you know, and not acknowledge the fact that, yes, you are a man and you might have breast cancer. 
Eleanor, when I first, yeah. my first visit to my breast oncologist, and I was doing all the forums, and my wife was with me, and I, I was doing the forums, and I'm looking at it, I'm, you know, on your last period, and I get to a question, and I, I looked at her, I said, do I have vaginal dryness? Because it's on the <laughs> forum, and it's like, and we just kind of chuckled it off, um, but it's, you know, it's that kind of stuff. You know, it's hard enough, the medical, I get, I got enough ribbing from my friends, you know, my golf friends want to know if I wanted to play from the ladies' tees, you know, just in good jazz, you know, they're trying to be funny, trying to, you know. But I'm sure it gets old. <laughs> it, it does, but I try, I, I never really let it get to me. I use it as, um, as a, a propulsion to, to do what I'm doing and to do what Vicky and I do to, to make it change, to make it better, to make it easier. Um, but we've, you know, we've grown up in this world and it became it started out as a male breast cancer foundation but it's turned into a much more genetic cancer as well because of our affiliations mm -hmm. with basser and and the research that we're doing and then you know the breast for me turned into the prostate 18 months later and it's, it's it's like it's not just about my breast anymore it's now about my whole body right. so right. you know with the brca2 the higher risk of earlier onset prostate cancer and you know Harvey had fluctuating numbers and where most uh, where his doctor would have kept going and just watching those numbers um, after a while Harvey had to say you know I, I have the BRCA gene mutation and I think we need to go to be a little bit more assertive with this mm -hmm. and thank goodness that he did because again that information that knowledge allowed him to take charge of his own, uh, you know, health needs. Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, kind of back to the problems with that intake form, I don't know if the male, the forms that they have for males now ask questions about prostate cancer or PSA screenings, which seem like they'd be, you know, very medically relevant for, they for do men. Not. Um, they do not. You know, where it's like goes, like goes beyond just like making men feel welcome, but actually doing a good job with care. Like for any woman who is there, you'd ask about family history of ovarian cancer, but for men, you know, like pretty basic if a man's showing up with breast cancer, possible breast cancer to be asking questions about family history or personal history of prostate cancer cancer so yeah, or even how many men i'm sorry how many men are out there that you know their doctors they're going in for their general you know yearly physical who know about their family history they've they've you know they have all this information um know that they might have a mother who had breast cancer or you know a family member who had ovarian cancer um they check their prostate they do you know they do a prostate check but they don't do a breast right. exam now this is a general physician and you're doing a yearly you know checkup and you know that this person they may not know whether or not they have you know carry a mutation but they know they have a familiar history mm -hmm. of cancer in their family why why not do a breast exam or and teach them how to do one so they can check themselves educate right. them which would take about one minute more. Yeah, that's right? it. Exactly. Just one minute. <laughs> exactly. And anybody we've come in contact with that I've come in contact with that we have this conversation, that's one of the first things I say to them. I say, when you go for your physical, ask your doctor to check your breast. If you were a woman, they would check it and your physical right away. But they can, you can just say, can you check my breast while you're doing my physical? It takes a minute. Exactly one minute, right? So, but they don't, you would think they would do it anyway. But they, don't, but they don't because it's it's a rarity. I understand, you know, it's a you know, it's not going to show. It's a low percentage, right? The risk, you know, the percentage, 
is low, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. You know, and you can save that one life. I mean, just early detection for a man is is really the key. It's the most important because nobody is checking. You know, they're not going for annual mammograms. It's so important for them to have the knowledge that yes, I could get diagnosed with breast cancer. And so checking and early detection is what's going to save the lives. And unfortunately for men, because most people aren't looking and they're found when it's much further progressed. Right. It's interesting, Eleanor, that guys, Vicki and I have a very close friend who's lost his dad, his uncle, and a first cousin, three first degree relatives, all to pancreatic cancer. Now, he and I have talked for years about you know, getting tested, but he, and he does screen now. He screens very regularly. You know, he does EUSs for his pancreas, pancreas, but he refuses to get genetically tested. And after, you know, and I was talking to the head of uh, PENS, actually, your um, urological cancer division about this. And he said, the chances of having three first degree relatives all have pancreatic cancer are like one, and have it be random with no genetic link is like one in seven billion. And he wanted to actually meet him and follow him, and he refused to do that as well. It's just people, I don't get it. Well, insurance, insurance, it's, yeah, plays yeah, that, a part in this. Yeah, his wife was afraid that insurance would go up if he was, you know, they found out that he carries some kind of mutation, but which they can't really do under current law. Maybe it'll change. Right. But, But, you know, when you have life insurance policies or things like that, that where the, you know, learning about your genetic mutations um, plays a part, you know, some people have that fear. But, however, I guess I would rather (laughs) live with the knowledge and maybe live longer because I have the knowledge um, with that, you know, and take that. worry about a higher premium. Yeah. But that's the way people are. They just don't want to know. They want to stick their head in the sand and not take care of themselves and just say, well, I've gotten this far and never been, I've never had a problem. I'm just going to, you know, take my chances because I, I feel like I'm not going to get it. Uh, I, you so, know. <laughs> I mean, Harvey and I have been at, we, we were at a concert uh, out in California and just, you know, we'll just start talking to people. And when we, when we mention about our organization or, you know, what we've been diagnosed with, or just the fact that we carry, you know, the, the mutation, um, then all of a sudden they look up and they say, oh, well, you know, my daughter had this or my sister and my aunt had that. So you mean like maybe I should get tested? You know, yes, yes. <laughs> you know? Um, oh, and I did have some PSA numbers that were, that were a little higher. Yes, you need to be tested. And it's just a shame that nobody's really talking to them and that, or that they're not really understanding. Um, so, you know, when hopefully the things that we do either between personally, um, the people we come in contact with, the website is breastcancer.org, um, the information that it provides out there, uh, the support tools that it, it also provides, um, you know, that we can make a change that we, if we, we know that we have saved lives mm. through the information we provide. Um, we know we have because people had no idea that they are, could be at a higher risk. And, uh, and just that, that little bit of knowledge yeah. can make a difference. Um, and then 
That's really that's really the rewarding right, part of it. Um, when we were screening the, the documentary Pink and Blue, um, Colors of uh, Hereditary Cancer in Rochester, I you know I got on the, a local radio show and a contact there, and I promoted the film. And this guy heard it, came to the film, and after the film, he kind of caught up with me, and he said, "Can I just you know thank you?" And I said, "Sure, you know <laughs> what are you thanking me for?" He goes. I was just diagnosed last week with breast cancer, and by listening to you and coming to watch this film, I feel so much better about how I'm going to attack my my treatment and things. And it's just it's made our life, which was spinning out of control, so much more in line and, and easier for us. And I just wanted to shake your hand and thank you. And it's that kind of stuff that you know. I looked at my wife after I said, "That's why I do what I do." And it's just that kind of stuff just makes it so much better for somebody else that they feel like. And believe me, I was never a benevolent person. <laughs> I was an individual to myself, trying to make money. I wasn't. I never thought I'd have. I'd be leading this this organization or this lifestyle. But it's it's paramount of what I do. It's it's like the most important thing that I do. I work for a living. And I have a wife and two beautiful boys. And um, but what I do with the foundation is just it's so rewarding um, to see when you can help somebody get through something we were out at the force convention in october vicky and i in san diego and i was just wandering around the opening party and this guy came on came up to me and he said you're harvey singer aren't you i said yeah he said you know i just want to thank you i read your book on the plane out here and it was so enlightening i just want to thank you for writing it it was it was great and it's just that kind of stuff that just makes it yeah so much and your book your book is called sir let's see um sir you have breast cancer is that right and people can yeah. get it on amazon yes. Yep, it's on Amazon. It's in both Kindle form or um, in, you know, printed form. Did, did you write that before or after you started his his breast cancer? Um, kind of after. And, and, yeah, kind of <laughs> after. It was kind of... So here, the story behind the book is that you know, when I went through chemo, you know, you have a lot of sleepless nights. You've gone through treatment. You don't know what's coming next. You know, you've been through surgery. And I had a lot of sleep. And I just started to make notes and just i do have a journalism background so i just started to write at night just to keep myself occupied when i couldn't sleep i'd go into my office not to disturb my wife and just write just things that just came to my to my thought process and then i got through chemo and got back to work and life went back to somewhat normal and then then i got you know whammed with the prostate cancer diagnosis and went through surgery for that and after that i started to spin a little bit started to lose control and you know my oncologist said i think you need to talk to somebody so i started seeing a therapist and i was never one for therapy that was not me i'm i'm a hard ass i always thought i could handle everything myself um but i decided to do it i found a woman that kind of helped me you know get me back on track a little bit and she said you know you got a lot to say you really should think about you know did you ever think about writing a book and i said well it's funny i started to do a lot of notes when i was going through treatment and she said you know next session just bring bring me an excerpt or two so I brought her the excerpt the next session, and the following session, after she read it, she came back, she goes, you got to go back and finish this. you gotta, you got to write your story. Mm. And so I spent the next, I don't know, six months or so in between, you know, on planes, writing, and nights, and just in between regular work schedule. And I, I put together, but I didn't want to write a book that was just, I had this treatment, I had that surgery. That You know, there's too many of those things out there. So I kind of went back into my past, into my life growing up, and the fact that I always thought I was going to get cancer because I was named after two guys that got cancer and died early. And I went back and just did a history. 
And some of the more frivolous times in my, in my life, you know, I am a child of the 60s and 70s. I did party a little bit. So I kind of incorporated some of that, tried to make it a little bit light and humorous in places. And I don't know, it just came out. I mean, I'm sure it's not a Pulitzer Prize winner thing. It's just something that I wanted to do. And, um, and I did it. And, and, and for that, it helped us promote the foundation. But I think, Vic, you, you probably remember better. We started the foundation before that. We were all incorporated before Yes, that. we did. Yeah, the foundation was on its way. Um, but you were continually writing the book throughout the process. Yeah. So... Um, and then we also share, you know, uh, the blog, we have a blog section on the website, which um, is a place that I have found a way to express what I need to express as well and make it informative for women or men. Um, most of the information on the website, really, you know, as we said, um, breast cancer, there isn't a huge difference the way it's uh, treated for male or female. So most of the information is useful for men or women on there for, you know, whether it's prevention, diagnosis, treatment, support. Um, so. Yeah. And I think one thing I wanted to say about the BRCA mutation, and it's important to note, is that it's information and it's knowledge. BRCA mutation is not a death sentence. Mm -hmm. We have our aunt who had a couple different cancers breast than you know and she just passed away of a hundred at a hundred and four. Uh-huh. hundred and two. Sorry, no, no, hundred and two. Okay. Somewhere around hundred and three. Our mom our mom is still currently alive at ninety four and going pretty strong, lives independently. So, you know, that's what makes me hopeful. Yes, I carry the same mutation as they do. This was passed down through them, um, you know, with their family history. And although I've had more diagnosis than they have at an earlier age, I still feel hopeful that I can live a good full life just like they have. Yeah. And I wonder, Harvey, kind of thinking about, you know, your frustration with that particular friend with the family history of pancreatic cancer who's hesitant about testing, but then also that, you know, when you learned about the mutation in the family, you didn't have testing done. I'm wondering, did you consider having testing done at that point? Um, or what were your thoughts around that at the time? Just did you, did you understand that you had a 50% chance of carrying the same mutation? Did you think about talking to a genetic counselor? Or did you talk to a doctor about it or just think that it, yeah. What, what were your thoughts um, at the time? I really pushed it aside ignorantly. Um, I just said, okay, you know, it's good information. I'll, I'll think about it. And I didn't really have to think about it that long because it was not that long after that I, you know, was diagnosed with the breast cancer. And I didn't even have the testing until, you know, the following spring. I was diagnosed in October, had surgery in November, had chemo. And then after all that, I had the testing. Not that I didn't know what was going to show up because at that point, right. you know, I've already had the disease. I knew it was going to show up, but I wanted to, you know, you had to make sure. That that's what caused it. So, um, no, I didn't at the time, but it was only like a, I guess it was a two year period. And so I was, you know, 52, right? Because I was diagnosed at 54. So it was 52 when you told me about it. And I didn't reach out. I mean, it wasn't prevalent testing, it was pretty expensive. Um, they were pretty, they were pretty tight wadded about it those days. Um, mm -hmm. They've gotten better now, you know, now they'll test you a lot easier. And it's made, you know, co companies like Color Genomics, you can do it on your own, which is why I tell people if you don't want your insurance to get in the middle, you don't have to have anybody know the results with you. 
You know, right. for 300 bucks, you can send in a saliva sample to color genomics and get a pretty accurate. Just don't use but, 23andMe or something like that. I prefer, you know, I don't trust those. But um, so I didn't. We still, we still do recommend that they speak with a genetic yes, counselor because yes. that is the, the best yeah, Vicky, source. Vicki, you, you were tested through a genetic counselor at um, Penn, which is now the Bass Breast Center, right? Right, it is part, yes, now it's part of the Basser Center. Um, but that's where I did go for my testing. And because uh, honestly, I don't think that there was that many places, that many options I had to choose from. But that was the first time I saw a pamphlet and learned about anything about genetic testing. Um, it wasn't even my breast surgeon that had mentioned it. So I had brought it back and looked into a little bit and said, no, I'm going to schedule an appointment and, and, and do this. You know, I just want the information I wanted. My thoughts were not only for myself, obviously, but, you know, with having children, even if it wasn't something that was going to be useful information today, it would be something that maybe someday down the road, you know, there would be that vaccine. There would be something that would say, oh, I have this information from my mother and maybe I, you know, this will help me yeah. later in life. And that's really why I moved forward with it. So yes, I did go through genetic counseling. I understood everything before I went and had the blood drawn. Um, they did, you know, they did say to me, if you come back with a mutation, we're going to highly recommend, you know, the hysterectomy. So I knew all that going into it. Um, and I wasn't shocked when I received that information, wasn't happy, but wasn't shocked um, once I really understood it. And, and our children know, I mean, they have the knowledge, they know the choices they make in their lifestyle, in uh, the, their diet, um, they, they do self-breast exams because they understand that they can be diagnosed with male breast cancer and that they have this higher risk of a diagnosis. So, you know, <laughs> Just knowing, just knowing the family history is already an eye-opener for them. And, and they appreciate that they have that information. They do, every one of them. Whether they've been tested or haven't been tested yet, they appreciate the information they have and how that affects their life and the decisions they make, their choices in their life. So, uh, Harvey, as you alluded to earlier, men have a reputation for going to the doctor a lot less than women <laughs> and being, maybe I should say, even worse than women about ignoring symptoms that could be concerning, showing up late. Um, and I, I, it's hard to know who a podcast audience is, but I think probably more women probably listen to podcasts like this with a health focus too. What, what would you say to someone who's listening? Um, could be a man, but maybe it's a female who's kind of like the, the person who nags people in the family to go to doctor's appointments or is aware of the family history of breast cancer, maybe a known BRCA mutation in the family, but has male relatives who haven't wanted to hear about it or do anything about it or thought that testing isn't important for them. Do you think there's anything that those female relatives can do to help encourage that person um, to think about it differently? I do. Uh, we talk a lot about this and, you know, cause guys are a little bit standoffish. Um, we try and get the women involved to get them to push them a little bit. But the main reason is, and I, and I, I deal with this every day, understanding your risks and that knowledge is so powerful in how you can maintain your life. Um, just having that information leads you to do 
you know, more things in advance of actually waiting till after something happens and then trying to deal with it later. Um, I don't know why guys are the way they are. Maybe because just, I don't know. <laughs> it's the way we're made up. Um, you know, they want to be big and tough and, you know, invincible. Um, but, you know, a, a breast cancer diagnosis will bring you to your knees quite quickly. Just knowledge is such power and how, if you're carrying this, how you would take care of yourself when you screen. Like if you're carrying a BRCA um, mutation and you know there's a chance for prostate cancer, you know, start screening at 30, 35 years old PSAs to watch your, to watch your variances. Um, you know, make sure that it, there's so much misinformation out there. And some of it's doctor delivered. Some of doctor this mis- generated, doctor delivered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. misinformation. Guys, Vicky and I have run into doctors that doctor, actual doctors that didn't know, that did not know guys could get breast cancer. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's scary. It is absolutely scary. I'm like, how did you, how do you not know that? Well, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah. were you when they taught that class? You know? Right. Right. I mean, there are absolutely professionals in the medical world that do not have all the knowledge. You know, we, we think they do, but they just don't. And they're not aware that that men can be diagnosed with breast cancer, that men are, you know, are 50 percent of the BRCA mutation. That, you know, that's uh, just the factor that it is. And they're like, oh, I didn't know, man. One thing. I, yeah. One thing I hear a lot that I've heard from GYNs myself and have heard other patients have heard is just like, oh, the the father side of the family doesn't really matter if you have breast cancer right it doesn't side matter. Of the family. Right. and i'm just like yeah. and what in what what <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's 50 yeah. percent of your dna of course of course it matters you know <laughs> yeah right it's right. true you're so you're so accurate with that it's like it, it doesn't matter if your father had had prostate cancer it can't make you have breast cancer yeah you don't think so okay uh and uh, harvey and i i mean we go uh routinely for pancreatic scans um you know, you go into your dermatologist being checked, you know, because you are at a high risk for, for melanomas. Uh, those are all, you know, all part of it. It's uh, even with the knowledge that we have. And even though he's already had breast and, and prostate and I've had breast, it doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. You know, unfortunately, we're at a higher risk for, you know, all these other, other cancers as well. So it's, um, you know, that knowledge is important in all, in all aspects of it. So, um, have you seen, I, I mean, I imagine, you know, you run into people all the time, you even reference doctors who don't realize that men can get breast cancer. Have you noticed in the time that you started your foundation, like just over 10 years ago? Was it, is it? No, not that long ago. Um, no, it's 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 ten years. It's oh, ten, yeah, years. ten years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. Have it's you noticed like a yeah. positive direction of change? Like, do you, do you... absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. There is a huge difference that a huge difference of what is out there now compared to ten years ago, and because there is starting to be more information and more conversation. And um, you know, I mean, I've worked with the local organizations like even Komen, who you know, in the beginning, it was just you know female this, female that, although they are still very pink, if you read some of their, um, you know, their promotional pieces, they now will say women Mm -hmm. and men. You never saw that 10 years ago. You did not see that at all. And after I met with the local uh, CEO of Komen and that was started, you know, I started to see that inclusion. It was like, okay, I know, I know that that impact came from from us directly and you know i because it's starting to be 
put out there a little bit more, a little bit more in conversations, things, uh, you know, these podcasts or blogs or, um, you know, newspaper articles, whatever. It, it's allowing men who were so embarrassed or humiliated, you know, and didn't want to talk about the fact that they were diagnosed with breast cancer to now come out a little bit more and say, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm one of them. Yeah, I think when we when we started our foundation, we were literally the only one of our type. Um, there was no other information source for male breast cancer. There are now others, and some have gotten decently sized, and they and we have no problem. We work with them. We talk with them. It, we're all after the same goal, which is to make this a little bit more prominent in people's minds that in the mindset that they can the guys can get this uh, but i there's a huge change and it's but i only i don't think we've even tipped the iceberg yet i think there's so much further we can go with it yeah even now i mean you have october obviously you know i i don't think there's anybody on the, the earth that does not know that october is breast cancer <laughs> awareness um, but what many people don't know is that the third week of October is now male breast well, cancer. Only in 23 states. Week. So, <laughs> yeah. well, but it's acknowledged and it's recognized and, you know, so that's, uh, that's expanding more and more each year yeah, that's as well. Yeah, that's to me also. For you, Harvey, um, I know we have a lot of genetic counselors that listen to this podcast, and I think some physicians too. Um, what would you want them to know about caring for a male patient with breast cancer or just caring for a male patient who has a BRC mutation in the family or who has that strong family history of breast cancer? Like what should they be aware of or how could they provide better, more sensitive care to male patients specifically? I think they get tentative. I remember my surgeon, you know, was very careful how he explained things to me. He tried not to be emasculating um, when I first, you know, met him. Um, I think they're usually pretty good. They just need to be open and just not make it make it as um, uh, I don't know what the word is, sexist reference. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not a woman's disease. It's a people disease. Everybody has breasts. <laughs> uh, they may be bigger on women, but we the men have them. So right. you know they don't like to think that they have them, but they do. You know they want to call them pecs or something, but you know everybody has breasts and everybody has breast tissue and you know, we're all susceptible to, to certain things. Um, you know, my wife's a two-time cancer survivor and she has a cancer that doesn't usually come to, to women. Hmm. And it was, it's kind of odd that she got the cancer that, um, that doesn't usually show up in women and I got the cancer that doesn't usually show up in men. Huh. <laughs> and my kids are like, well, we're screwed, but. <laughs> you know, everybody was in an uproar with the whole Angelina Jolie and, you know, when she was uh, diagnosed with the mutation and, you know, what she did prophylactically. And I think, you know, there are a dozen celebrity men out there that have had breast cancer, but most of them have chosen yeah. not to talk about it, mm. you know, and I think, un unfortunately, you know, it's just going to take that one celebrity male that's going to be diagnosed with a mutation that's, you know, or a diagnosis and uh, that's going to really make the change because that's, that's what we look up to. Well, that's what Angelina Jolie did. She, she changed it. She helped. She helped. But, right. but she didn't include right. guys and she didn't, you know, she didn't go there. And there are, Vicki and I know of specific guys in, in the 
in the celebrity world that could really help us. We've reached out to several of them and they don't want to talk about it. You know, it's embarrassing to them. It's no different. We've reached out to the NFL because we've said, you know, during the month of October, all the football players, you know, they come out with their pink shoelaces and their pink wristbands and their, you know, and, and, and all this stuff on them. And they give out pink bracelets. And we're like, majority of your audience is male. Just tell them. Tell them it's a chance. Explain yeah. to the men that, you know, educate men. This is your audience. Educate them that they too can be diagnosed with breast cancer. And yet, you know, Never. it doesn't really, it doesn't, hasn't happened yet. I don't know. Little, it's little pieces, little bits. We're taking, you know, small steps, but uh, we'll get there because we're not done the fight. So for listeners um, who want to check out your website, it's hisbreastcancer.org. And with that will be in the show notes. We'll have links to your social media accounts there too. Um, anything else that we haven't covered you want to make sure that people are aware of? No, I just, I would just tell guys that, you know, guys need to just be as vigilant as women with the stuff. Just understand your, your history and, you know, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, follow us through your social media platforms, you know, check our website. Vicky's really good at updating the blogs on a regular basis. So if we see new information or there's a new seasonal thing, she's always good at writing a, a good blog to kind of be inclusive and not... It's, this is not a sentence, it's an education, it's knowledge. You know, some people get hit with it and they say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm destined to, to get cancer and die. It's, it's not anything like that. It's, it's an education to, and knowledge to know what your risks are. And, you know, it's, it's out there and there's a lot of resources, just yeah. follow them. And the women, women can make it a, you know, a partnership with the men, uh, you know, once a month test your guy, you know, do a little self breast exam, um, check them for them, help them, show them, you know, uh, educate them. Yeah. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at greatgenetics.com. Patient Stories is an ad-free podcast and is unaffiliated with any commercial genetic testing laboratories. We would like to keep it that way. You can now donate to Patient Stories online by going to greatgenetics.com slash podcast slash donate. If you don't want to make a monetary donation, but still want to support the show in another way, leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our episodes through social media also makes a big difference. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendation.